are going to be back in 1 Peter um, chapter 1, verses 8 through 12. Uh, it's Thursday at noon 03, so we're, we're on time. So we're going to read that, and then we're going to pray, and then we will start. So here's what 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, verses 8 through 12 says. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice, rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and fill with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, in the things that have been now announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. So we're going to pray, and then we're going to start. Uh, so Father, we thank you for the, uh, this chance again to open your word. Uh, help us to um, understand, uh, give us understanding, and the, the ability to see uh, your Son. Uh, help us to treasure Jesus more than we did uh, yesterday. Um, and to value Him and to uh, give our lives for Him. Uh, help us to know that You are good um, and that You have given us the grace to see and to trust You. And it's in Your sins that we pray. Amen. Okay, so there is a, uh, um, a well-known, he's an atheist, he, he's an author uh, named Richard Dawkins. He's pretty, pretty well-known. Um, he wrote a book called The God Delusion about 10 years ago. And he was interviewed by CNN about his views on science and religion. And here's the question they asked him. Uh, if you were to die right now and meet God, what would you say? So, of course, he doesn't believe in God, so if he was wrong, what, what would you tell God? And here's what he says uh, he would say. Um, I would say, which God are you? Are you Zeus? Are you Mithras? Are you Yahweh? And then I would ask him, why did you take such a great time or great pains to conceal yourself? So Richard Dawkins says, I would stand before God and say, well, which one are you? And why did you make it so hard to figure out? So he's begging the question that God hasn't done enough. Um, and I think we kind of hear this remark from people oftentimes if God would appear in the heavens or write his name in the sky, uh, I would believe in him, I would trust him. Uh, if he made it more obvious that he was who he claimed to be, I would um, look. And I feel like almost Richard Dawkins kind of saying something like this, kind of saying, you know, if you made it more clear, I would believe in you. Uh, if you did me a miracle, I would come to you. Um, and it's kind of an accusation to say God's word not sufficient, uh, that God's not done enough to the human heart, and that uh, it's God's fault. God's at, at fault for not doing anything. Um, so the, the kind of the question is, uh, we can't see Jesus today now, so now what? So that's kind of the, the problem I think we need to look at. Um, if you read the New Testament, uh, even just once, um, you'll see numerous times that people were around Jesus constantly. Uh, though they saw him perform miracles and speak, they still did not believe. So just a quick example. Uh, in John chapter 12, um, according to John, it's a day after um, he commands Lazarus to rise from the dead. Uh, the crowd that followed Jesus, uh, it's a big crowd, they follow him around. And here's what John comments. After, after Jesus spoke, uh, John says these things. Though he, Jesus, had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. So we, we could go to people like Judas, who knew him well, but betrayed him. We could go to Matthew 28, where Jesus gives his final words, and the people say... Some still doubt. We could go to James, Jesus' brother, who grew up with Jesus, went to school with Jesus, lived in the same house, probably picked up his room with him, uh, and still didn't believe until Jesus rose from the dead. So the problem is not physical sight. It's not your intellect. It's not how wise you are. It has nothing to do with our 
um, of who we are as a person uh, physically, it's our blindness to Jesus' value in our hearts. So we don't value Jesus uh, as who he is. Uh, we don't shake in awe of his power when he tells storms to stop. Um, we don't think that he's beautiful by his death on the cross, by that being monumental. And we don't, uh, we don't take our breath away at the humility that he had to be God, to step down to die for man. And we don't see that. And they did, and they still didn't see it. So the problem is that physical eyes, like Richard Dawkins is arguing, though it's not clear, but his heart doesn't see Jesus as valuable. And I think Peter's trying to get at that. So if you look at verse 8 here, uh, Peter just finished going through the importance of faith and what faith does and how God has been. He's kept us by faith in verse 5. He refines your faith in verse 6. Trials prove your faith is genuine in verse 7. And now in verse 8 he's saying, even though you've not seen him, because of your faith, you love him. And that's what Peter's trying to navigate back to is faith is seeing without seeing. It's valuing without actually seeing Christ. Um, so we don't see Jesus physically, um, but neither did these Christians. If you think about who Peter wrote to, they didn't see Jesus either. I think we can speculate and say that, that that's a, a safe opinion to make. Uh, but Peter did see him. So Peter's saying, you know, I've seen him, but you have not seen him but you still love him. So Peter's almost applauding us to have faith. You don't see him, but you still love him. That, that's faith. That, that's a genuine faith to love Jesus. Uh, so God's gr- granted us the ability to see Jesus actually better than those who physically saw him on the earth. So we think about that. A lot of people uh, saw Jesus. So Jesus appeared as the God-man, right? Uh, he claimed to be God many times, many different ways. Uh, he raised people from the dead. He cast out demons. He controlled the weather and diseases. He performed many other miracles. Um, thousands of people saw him do this. Thousands experienced miracles like the feeding of the fish. Uh, people saw him. Thousands ran to him from cities. They're witnesses. Um, people were probably neighbors of friends who got raised from the dead or who were cured. Like, Jesus, he cured you? So people knew he was around. They knew where he was. They'd run from city to city to see him. And many believed in him, but many didn't believe in him. And it's... It's not that they didn't see him, because I hear Peter says, though you do not see him, you love him. I think you can almost argue, though they saw him, they did not love him. So why is that? Um, well, because the Bible says our hearts are darkened. We, we love the darkness rather than the light. We prefer our sin uh, over Jesus. We don't see his, his, his value. We see his works. We love miracles. We love, you know, give me bread. Give me, give me health. Give me a better house. But we don't see Jesus uh, supreme in value. And our hearts, that's the problem. It's our hearts, it's our faith. So the question is, if you're a lover of Christ, if, you, if you've been changed by His work and by His Spirit, because God has been merciful to you. Uh, in verse 3, Peter just said, God's great mercy. So if you see Jesus as valuable, God's been outstandingly merciful to you. And we always forget that. We don't remember that even though we don't see Him with our eyes, we see Him with our hearts. And that's far more far more beautiful than we, than we think and we, and we forget uh, so Peter and James and John, they're Jesus' close disciples. They're kind of the, the, the three in his posse. And they saw things that no one else would see because Jesus just specifically drew them in. But what's great is in God's word, we see everything they saw. We get the glimpses. We saw what they saw. We, we get invited in, if you would, to God's inner circle and see him for who he is. We see his worth. We see his beauty. And that's faith. That's, that's what God's given you is the, a gift of faith to see that. Also in verse 8, Peter says this, uh, so though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. So he's saying about now, if you look in verse 7, talks about Jesus will be revealed. So right now you don't see him, but one day he will be revealed, right? Um, so Christian, the question is, 
do you believe in Jesus? Do you, do you trust? I think the word trust is a good word to you. I think faith, we just kind of throw it around too much. Uh, it, it has a bad rap, unfortunately. I think the word confidence or trust is good to use here if that helps. But do you have a trust in Christ uh, that sees him as, as beautiful? And not just for what he offers. The people just want his miracles. And John 6, he said, you just want your fill of bread. Do you want your fill of bread or do you want Christ? Do you want what he has to offer or do you want him? And that's what faith is. It's seeing Jesus as valuable. Um, and the question that we kind of always ask is, well, why? Um, I think we kind of think it's like the luck of the draw. Well, I just have better eyes, you know, or I was, I was broken more by his words, or uh, my family grew up Christian, you know, I heard those things. Um, and I think what we do is we jump to the parable of the, of the seed sower, where uh, the seed is cast out, which is the gospel. If you don't know the story, that's the gospel, is the seed. And the types of soils are human hearts. And in three of the four soils, the seed grows up quickly or poorly, or doesn't grow at all, and then it dies after and the last soil is the only one that receives the gospel. Uh, it grows roots, it produces fruit, and it does what it's supposed to do, which is to produce visible fruit. And I think what we think is that's kind of luck of the draw. Well, that guy was just nicer, or maybe he was cleaner, or maybe he had more money, or he's from America. And we forget that is God's grace that tills our hearts. He, he churns the soil of our hearts. He changes our hearts. He gives us faith. He gives us grace. It's not my quick wit or my understanding, but it's God who's been merciful. So even though you do not see him, you love him. And though you do not now see him, you trust him. And that's faith. That's, that's the beauty of faith. So do you see the value of Jesus? And if you do trust him, how should you live? So the question is, yes, Kale, I, I see Jesus' Bible. I love him. I trust him. If you do those things, if you are in that spot, how should you, what, what should be the response to this? Um, I think all of us find great things and things we love. Um, you don't have to fight anybody to talk about things they love. Most wives and families love their kiddos. You can hear stories from kids. You can hear single men probably love sports above wild leaves. I mean, they talk about these things, things we love, right? Um, and what we do, if you're like me, is in the area of things you love, the higher the value of the item, uh, kind of the higher your joy. So let me explain. I like baseball. Baseball is a great thing to me. I think it's wonderful. Uh, let's say you love it, and you got free tickets to see uh, the Miners team here in Marion. Uh, so the Miners team, they're not really uh, big. Uh, they're in the league called the Frontier League, which means they basically have zero involvement with any MLB or AA team. So they're just their own little league. Most men who play actually work a second job. Some have to. Uh, so let's say I got free tickets to see them play. Would I be excited? Yeah, baseball's fun. I'd be, I'd be happy to go to the game. But what if you got me free tickets to see Game 7 of the World Series? I'd be pumped. And I'd just pump, like, I'd be singing about it. Like, I'm, I'm going to go see the Cubs winning it, hopefully. Or I'd be, I mean, I'd be singing. I'd be taking time off for work. I'd be talking about it. I'd be showing, hey, I got tickets. I mean, I'd be pumped. And, but the thing is, it's kind of the same thing, but the value is different. So the same topic, but the higher the value, kind of the higher of our praise. So what changed is the, like the weight or the intensity of what I received, right? So again, look to verse 8. Peter says, You believe in him and you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. So I think if, you, if Jesus is as inexpressibly joyful and infinitely worthy of our praise, the question is, do you rejoice in joy inexpressible over your version of Game 7 Seats? What do you find that makes you just, oh, game seven? Is there a praising in your life, or the, the glory is used, but praising, is there a glory in your life or praising in your life 
of who Jesus is and what he's done for you more than your version of your playoff series tickets. What do you find more joy in? What do you praise? We all have these things. Um, and that's foolish of us. And that's, that's sinful. Um, in Philippians, Paul says something outstanding. He says many things, a beautiful letter, but a very, uh, a very joyful letter. And Paul says this, I count everything as loss. Game seven tickets, a raise, friends. I count everything as loss compared to the surpassing worth of just, of just I'm putting more just in there, of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. So just of knowing Christ is surpassing worth. And in chapter two, he says, to depart and be with Christ is far better now, I'm not saying that I don't, I don't not value things. I mean, I like baseball. I do. I like open frisbee. I like sports. I like cake. I mean, we all like things. It's not wrong to value things. I'm not a, joy, a joyless person. I'm actually pretty joyful most days. Um, I like beautiful landscapes and free tickets and great singing voices. But the question is, what captivates your heart? Does Jesus captivate your heart? Does he cause you to just erupt with praise for what he's done, who he is? And if you're in Christ, there's good news and bad news. The bad news is, is no, you probably don't. Because we don't see him as beautiful yet. We don't fully understand. And God forgives us for that. And we, we get grace for that. We say, God, help me to see your son. Help me to, help me to see him as beautiful. So that's the bad news, which actually is good news. But the even better good news is if you're in Christ, you will spend an eternity discovering the infinite beauties that Christ has to offer. It will never get old. You'll never fully understand it. You'll continue to chase it and wonder and sit in awe. And man, my God. So that's what we'll do forever. So don't panic. Don't fear. Repent. But know that you will, one day you will be absolutely obsessed with the God who saved you. And that's the joy that I have to look forward to, that one day it will be that way forever. It won't be just small eruptions in our hearts. It will be an eternity of doing this. And that's God's goodness to us. And we'll get to see the worth of our King. And where Peter takes us next is kind of interesting. Uh, so let's say that, that you are these things. You, you see Christ, you love him, you trust him, uh, you're rejoicing with joy, you, you inexpressible, you love him, he's delightful to you. Uh, what do we get? What's the, what's the point of this? What's the reward, so to speak, right? Um, so uh, there's a very popular verse in the Bible. Um, it's not John 3.16, however it's popular. Uh, but Romans 6.23, uh, the first half of the verse says this, uh, The wages of sin is death. So for your sin, what you've earned, what you obtain for the outcome of your sin is God's justice, is, is hell, eternity. So the kind of the question is, if you're not a Christian, you need to think about some things. Um, God is good. We all agree on that. Most people will agree that if God exists, he must be good. Um, and he's infinitely good, which means that he strongly um, opposes evil. The Bible actually says he hates it. Uh, he abhors evil. Um, and we love for God to come quickly on those who rape and he should, and he will. And those who murder, and he should, and he will. And those who uh, molest children, and, all, and kidnappers, and school shootings, and we think God should get them, and he will. But God's perfect in his justice, and it goes further than that. Um, it goes to those who maybe not have sinned sexually uh, in, in public, but it goes to our hearts, who sexually have desires that are just wicked, and adultery of our heart. Um, God doesn't just get those who murder but he goes after those who call someone an idiot in their anger because they're mad. Um, God's justice is perfect. Uh, he draws the line of perfection. So all liars like myself, all people who have stolen like myself, um, those who are cheats, um, who have not loved their neighbor fully as themselves, and who have not loved God with all their heart, um, God's justice will fly on us quickly. 
And we forget that. So the question is, if you're not a Christian, does that make you tremble? Do you, do you see God's justice? And it's good. Um, and the kind of the good news of the gospel is we broke God's law, but Jesus pays our fine. So if you're not a Christian, that the idea of the gospel is we're not good, God is. And then that's a problem for us. But in God's kindness, he sends his son to keep the law that we can never keep, to die in the place of our sin, to take our fine. And we are counted as Christ. Jesus gets his righteousness counted towards us, and our sin is counted towards him. So now God sees us, not as a lawbreaker, but sees you as if you've always obeyed, even though you haven't. So what's the outcome of that? Look at verse 9. Filled with the glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your soul. So that's kind of the Christian version of Romans 6.23. The wage of sin is death. The wages, the outcome of sin is death. Well, this says the outcome or wages of faith is salvation. So you get salvation because of your faith that God gave to you in Christ because you love Him, even though you don't see Him. God says, you're going to get a reward. It's not worthless. It's not shady. It's not stupid. There's a reward, and it's grace, and it's salvation. So the wage of sin is death, but here for us it's life. So picture these Christians who are suffering. They're under this cruel dictator named Nero who burns Christians alive for torches in his party, who feeds them to animals, who beheads them, who dips them in oil and burns them. And yet they're rejoicing with joy that is inexpressible and praise. Why? They're crazy. Why are they doing this? Because their outcome of their faith is eternal life. It's, it's nothing on earth. Nothing can be touched by it. It's imperishable, Peter says. Uh, it's eternal life. So the intensity of how you value Jesus will show you it's worth it. So if you value him above anything, anything on earth is worth it. I'll go through whatever it takes to get him. And that's the faith I think Peter is urging us to, to have that God finds for us through our pain. Um, so the question is, is it worth it? Do you believe that uh, Christ greatly outweighs the pain and the suffering and the pleasure of the world? Um, do you believe that, that to die is gain? Uh, Jesus says, was it profit a man to gain the whole world? So what's it profit you to gain everything? When you think about it, you really you just live a handful of decades and you get a lot of headaches, a lot of stubbed toes, a lot of taxes, and some money to show for it. What's that worth compared to eternity with inexpressible joy and glory and hope? And Peter would say nothing. So the question is, is it worth it? Um, there's a man who died in the second century named Ignatius of Antioch. Uh, he, was a, he was a disciple of the Apostle John. So think about being discipled by somebody you love. Imagine John being your discipler. Just makes you just want to, man, that'd be crazy. Uh, so he was discipled by John in the second century. As history has it, he was saved at the church in Ephesus. Not really sure, but that's, that's what we kind of think. But the main point is this. He never really made a dent in history. It's kind of unknown until the last few weeks of his martyrdom where he was captured and he was in like a kind of like a cart getting taken to Rome to be killed. And he wrote letters like crazy to his churches. He wrote letters to churches just like Paul would do. Uh, but he's not an apostle, so a little different style. Um, weeks before he was eaten to death uh, by wild beasts, here's what uh, Ignatius says. It's kind of long, but I think you, you get the point. He says this, May I enjoy the wild beasts that are prepared for me. I pray that they would be found eager to rush at me, and I will also entice them to devour me speedily and not deal with me as some whom they have not touched. It's kind of gruesome, but the point is this. If they are unwilling to assail me, I will compel them to do so. Pardon me. I know what is to my benefit. I begin to be a disciple. Let, let no one of things visible or invisible prevent me from attaining Christ. 
Let fire and the cross, let wild beasts, let tearings and breakings and dislocation of bones, let cutting off of limbs, let shatterings of the whole body, let all evil torments of the devil come upon me, only let me attain to Christ. I think he would say to die is gain. And I think he got it. I think Ignatius got it. He knows that the suffering on this earth is only for a little while. Pain's only momentary. Um, it's nothing compared to the cross. And Jesus is far better. And Jesus went this way as well. I think we forget uh, Jesus got thorns before his throne. Um, he suffered before he was safe. And he got pain before his, his fame, so to speak, in heaven. So we're following the way of our master. Take heart. God has, has allowed you to follow in the steps of his son. And we don't think that's great. But God's designed it to be good. And I think we forget, um, when did this start? When did God have this idea of suffering and salvation and all these things? And what's great is it started way before we even existed. Uh, this has got, been God's design for uh, before the, the ages began. Um, so if you look at verse uh, 10 through 12, he goes back into the Old Testament, uh, talks about the saints, I'm sorry, the prophets, and all that they said and all that God revealed to them through the Spirit and all that they talked about. And what's neat is God's been revealing what he has been going to do since the book of Genesis. Every, every possible place God reveals Here's a small little window. Here, here's what it's going to look like. It's, it's kind of a foggy picture, but here's what it says. I want to read you, read you just a couple really quick ones um, of what God has revealed through a couple books of the Old Testament. Oftentimes we read the Old Testament and we don't understand it. Or we're confused. But remember that it's speaking of Christ. So here's a couple quick ones. Uh, Genesis 3.15 says that one day someone will come from the line of Eve and will crush the serpent, yet he will be in pain doing so. In Exodus 12, we see that the blood of a lamb saves you from God's wrath. There's a picture there, right? Um, Isaiah 9 says this person who, who will be, will both be born, and he'll be called mighty God. So he's God and man. It's, just very, it's a foggy picture we're seeing. Uh, two more. Um, in Daniel 7, it says that all the nations will worship this man, and his rule will last forever. So we're going to worship a man. It's, it's, an, it just, it's a foggy picture. And then in Micah 5, it says that he'd be born in Bethlehem. And of course, now we know, oh, that's Jesus. I could have told you that from first guess. But the prophets didn't know that. They didn't know who it was. They, they, man, who is this guy who's going to be worshipped by people? Who is this God? They didn't, under, they didn't quite grasp it. So he's been the theme of the Bible, of, of the world, actually, since before we even saw it. So look at verses 10 and 11. Uh, Peter says that the prophets spoke and earnestly searched the scriptures to find out uh, who they wrote of and read of. So they look forward to hope in Christ's work to be accomplished. And we as Christians are not really different. We look back to the work that was accomplished. So their hope was in the promise to come. Ours is in the promise that was made and will come. So Christian, your, your faith is no different. It's not weird. It's not random. It's we're following the steps of men who walked before us. This isn't, this isn't a joke. And God's been working so kindly to reveal these things to us. So he's ordained for us to actually live in the wake of the prophets who they never saw Christ. They didn't see the full glory of Jesus. But you get the scriptures. We get to see him walk on water and rise from the dead and save sinners and forgive sins and rescue us. Uh, the prophets probably would have wished. They look, they search. It says they search diligently. They would have wished that they could have your spot and say, I can see Christ. I have the New Testament. I see who he is. And we forget that we're, we're in a great position. We see the, the fullness of Christ. We see who we don't see, but we love. 
We have this. And interesting to note uh, what Peter writes. Um, it's important to mention that he says the Spirit of Christ, so the Holy Spirit has been working. But also he says that they, he spoke of the sufferings and the subsequent glories. I think it's neat to see uh, suffering is not new to God. Um, and it's actually ordained by God f- uh, to accomplish our salvation. Um, so Jesus, who was the God-man, who's perfectly righteous, holy, obedient to the Father fully, um, the only man to ever walk the planet whose life would obtain the wages of life, or faith, which is life. He's the only one who ever do that. Instead, he suffered and died because of the joy set before him, so the author of Hebrews tells us. Uh, Jesus said his hope fully on the Father and the promise of reward. Now catch this. The prophets spoke of who he was, and they did not know, but they set their hope on the coming reward. And we, with unveiled faces, fully see Christ revealed, and we promise on him. So Peter's telling his people, trust in what you see. Christ's been revealed. Trust in that. So Christian, in your suffering, look what's been revealed to you. You have the gospel. You have the hope of glory. You have, I mean, worst case, you go to the book of Revelation, you, you read the end, you see heaven. You see the Son. You see the Father. That's our hope. And Peter's trying to point you back to what you have. You get to see what the prophets never saw. Isaiah saw God, but he never saw the cross. Now Moses spoke with God, but he never saw the resurrection. So we have things that they didn't see that we get. That's the beauty of what God has done for us. So the question is, how precious is the gospel? It's good news. We love it. How beautiful is it? Uh, Look at verse 12. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, which is a beautiful thing. And these things have been now announced to you through those who preach the good news, the gospel, to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Uh, so angels, uh, if you, the Greek word for like long to look is kind of the way Peter stepped into the tomb when Jesus was risen. He just stooped in, it says, he like peeked to see if it was empty. So angels, they see the gospel and they just kind of, what are you doing there? Yeah, I don't think they're dumb. I don't think they're like, well, that's weird. I, think, I don't think they get it. And why don't they get it? They don't have a need for the gospel the way we do. You know, you think of the angels, they've, they've served God in the Old Testament. Uh, they announced the birth of Jesus, and they stood in his empty tomb. Uh, they marvel at the gospel, but they don't experience the work of the gospel. Uh, they have no need of repentance. They don't need to trust in Christ's work for salvation. They don't need to be saved. Um, but they take interest in it. And if they marvel at it, shouldn't we love him more? If angels who we just would love to see are in awe of the gospel, shouldn't we just be thinking, maybe we're missing something. Maybe I'm not getting the gospel. So do, do you marvel at the worth of Jesus? Do you, do you applaud in Matthew 2 when Jesus is born and just say, hey, the king's born? And I, I don't think we do. And I think because we don't see Christ for all he's worth. So are you grateful for having your eyes open to see Jesus? We need to praise him that he's done that to us. He's freely given us eyes to see his son. Um, we, do, we do not see him, but we see him. Jesus left our physical eyes so we could see more with our hearts. That was the point. He physically left so we could see him. Jesus actually said it was better that he left so our hearts could be enlightened by the Spirit to see him. It's good that we see him the way we do. Some of us might need to ask for forgiveness from God to repent of our yawning at Christ and all his beauty. Um, we do yawn at Jesus. and I do too. We don't find him as great as we should. and That's why we sin. Uh, we don't love him as much as our hearts should, and, and we need to know that God will forgive if we're in Christ, and we need to say, God, help me to see. And the Word says that he will grant that. He will give you eyes to see. He's faithful to do that. So I think we all need to pray that God would help us to see Jesus clearly, and it's only through his Word.
through his spirit and his words, not through dreams or mysticism, but through his word. And maybe some of us are just like Richard Dawkins. We have zero interest in the gospel. We don't really want to surrender to God's word. We don't want to trust in Christ's work on the cross. And something, maybe we do believe in Christ, but we still just kind of, you know, we grew up in church, kind of yawn at him. Um, I want you to go away some, uh, thinking about something. If the angels care about these things, and if they seek to almost study these things, maybe it's time that we did the same. So if you're, if you're not a Christian, kind of the question is, if these heavenly beings look at these things and take interest, maybe we should take interest as well. Maybe we should consider the claims that Jesus made or the things he, he did and said he did. Um, maybe we should look. I don't think we should be so foolish to blow off what angels would do. And oftentimes I think some of us who are in that place where we reject it or don't care about it or maybe don't understand it, um, and we speak out against the Bible, we've never actually read it before. Uh, we just kind of just assume we know what it is and never read it. Uh, I've met many people who don't actually know the gospel, yet they reject it because they don't like it, but they don't know it. So I urge you to, to read the word and to taste and see if the Lord is good. And if the angels say he is, maybe you should take a, take a look. So as the angels do so, I pray that you, would, you, would, that you look to the gospel, that you would observe it, that God would grant you eyes to see Christ, um, that we, and that knowing that all who look to him are saved. God does not cast out those who come to him. He's, he's good. So we're going to pray, and we're going to pray uh, for all of us. Uh, so let's uh, thank God for his word. God, we thank you for the chance to hear your word. Um, God, we thank you for your kindness and your mercy you've shown to us. Uh, God, we pray for Richard Dawkins and people like him. Uh, who reject the gospel, who, uh, who are against you, uh, who hate you. Um, God, I pray that you would give him eyes to see. Um, God, I ask that you grant repentance and faith to him and people like him who uh, don't believe in your son, who reject you, who do not treasure you. Uh, we ask that you would um, stir in their hearts to see you. God, we pray for us who don't see Jesus as he is. Um, God, forgive us for failing to do so. We thank you for your word, for we, we do see our, our Savior, we see our King. God, we thank you for eyes to see him, and for hearts that value him. Uh, help us to attain the outcome of our faith, to keep us, uh, that we would endure to the end. We ask that you continue to work in our hearts to see you and to love you. And in your son's name we pray, amen.